Hello, and welcome to the Woodard Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. And it is proudly sponsored by Expensify. For more information about Expensify, please visit woodard.com slash podcast. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, folks, I'm really excited to be with you here interviewing one of my very good friends. While Heather is out of the office for a couple of weeks, it gives me the chance to kind of go rogue, do whatever I want to do. And there's no better way to go rogue than bringing Dawn Brolin onto your podcast. Hi, Dawn. How are you? Hey, Joe, what a, I'm just so excited to be here. And yeah, let's rip it up while Heather's away. <laughs> yeah, let's break bad. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, the two mice will play. All right. So <laughs> so we wish Heather well. Can't wait for her to return, though. But uh, while she's out, we're going to have a fun conversation. But before we have the conversation about what we're going to talk about today, I do want to say, because I don't know that I've had a chance to say this to you, that this was the first time you spoke on the main stage of Scaling New Heights. And yes, of course, you nailed it. Everybody knows that part because they watched it. What they don't know is how much fun we had backstage before you went out. And, you know, normally backstage, everything is all super serious, you know, because, you know, what people don't realize is there are about 20 technicians back there with all their little flashy board lights. It's like the ABC News back there. Uh, All they see is just the stage, which is a very simple manifestation of it. And, um, and, and so everybody's serious. Everybody's like doing their little calm calls thing. And they're using all of these industry code words to run all the lights and all the sound. And they and then enter Dawn. Who's <laughs> 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 like, I don't understand why no one's having fun at this moment. So let me, let me solve that problem. Oh, I had to loosen up the room, man. It was bad. I'm like, what are you guys so serious about? We're having fun here. And what was funny is they were all in these headsets and they were all deep in their world and she'd go up and she'd go to talk to them and they would have to, you know, lift the, what What are you trying to say? And she's like, all right, let me start over from the beginning then because you really need to. You got to hear what I have to say. I got 14 jokes already stored up in the back of my head. Oh, it was fantastic. We had so much fun. Um, and it did put a whole whole level of energy into the into the back there. So, all right, so let's get to today's topic. Um, and this is teed up kind of by the title that people tuned into, but you're trying to lose clients right now. Have you lost your mind? Well, people who know me know I did that a long time ago. That that's, Lost the client that's, or the mind? The mind. The, that ship has sailed. The horse has left the barn. But as far as the clients go, um, I, re- I just had this revelation that why am I serving 250 clients that I'm constantly, my hair is on fire. I'm doing average work because no one, one human being can really manage that volume and do it really well. And it just, I just got to this point in my career where I said, do I want to keep doing this this way? And then came along Ron Baker. Hmm. And not, I say come along, comes along Ron Baker who came along, I don't know, a lot of years ago, I want to—I don't want to say how old Ron is because he's, you know, he's probably like twenty-five. I don't know, but he's been around, and yeah. he's had this industry thought leadership that we all should be following. And and I realized that I probably should listen. That I'm really bad at that. 
Right. And it, and it was time to well, Ron do Baker's really it. bad at, at, at being hard to listen to. I mean, and what I mean by that is he always tells you what the industry is going to look like or should look like 15, 20 years down the way. Because, you know, 20 years ago, it was really hard to read from the future. It was really hard to stop billing by the hour. And now it's really yeah. hard to do some of the other things he's talking about, which we'll actually unpack here. But keep going with where you're going. What Your encounter with Ron Baker, or rather your wake up to Ron Baker's message, convinced yeah. you of what? So it was an interesting process. Uh, last year, The I'll call it the new journey started. The other chapter closed and this new journey started and was starting to plan on. I was, and I was working with Mike Triantos from Giraffe and working with them on on getting this FP&A conversation going with my clients. So I was already kind of moving in a direction, yet I didn't define what it was or know what it was until I heard Ron Baker at uh, a seminar where he was introducing his thought leadership around subscription pricing. And I heard him talk and I just couldn't help myself at the end of that conversation to go up to Ron and get in his face Right. I say, yeah. I have to pause and say that because Ron, Ron will crack up because I went up to Ron and I said, Ron, I need to tell you something. I don't think you know this. Well, you know that I don't agree with you on, right. on in the past. And we remember we were at a, it was at um, it was in Boston at a, at a conference and we sat down, we were at dinner and there was like 30 of us having dinner and he sat across from me and we just didn't agree. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, and was that over the hourly rate thing? This was a hundred percent on his value pricing. Mm-hmm. Stop billing by the hour. Stop measuring by the hour, which I fought him on for five years until I until I kind of agreed with him. Yeah, and and with what happened in that in, in, encounter, number one gave me the confidence that what I was moving towards in my mind shift was right. Now back with value pricing across the table at that dinner exchange. We didn't agree. And so at the end of this, this presentation he gave and the conversation around subscription pricing, I went up to Ron. I said, Ron, we've never agreed before. And I want you to know something. You weren't wrong. I wasn't ready. Mm. That's what was, I meant by it's hard to listen to because when you're not ready for it, it comes at you sideways. It really it does. does. And, and Ron and Ron looked at me and he just smiled. And I was like, take that smile off your face. No, I didn't say that to Ron Baker. I would never say that. But I was just, it was a, an amazing moment between Ron and I. Hmm. Where it was, you know, not that he needed to hear that. Because he didn't. I needed to say it. Right. Right. Because then you and make it real for yourself. I All right, but, 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 but let's unpack this for the audience who hasn't read the book Time's Up or hasn't heard what Ron Baker's taught about at Scaling New Heights, um, which, by the way, you should read Time's Up. You should listen to Ron Baker at the next Scaling New Heights because this, this is a powerful, not pricing model, it's a powerful practice model. That's the first distinction. But break it out for me. We kind of have an evolution process here of abandon the hourly rate, embrace the value pricing, and now subscription. And what does that do to answer the question I opened with of why are you trying to lose clients, right? So how does it affect that? So what is subscription pricing or subscription modeling versus value pricing? Sure. So as far as the, the subscription model is more around building this system within your the model of your practice that you are going to do 
these types of things with your client. Like this is a big one, talking to them. Mm, on a regular basis, proactively. On a regular right. basis. Having conversations and most importantly, asking questions. And that was something I struggled with. I think I was more focused on me delivering information to the client. So I'm the value pricing in my mind was, all right, if I'm going to give them value, I need to give them information. I need to, I need to provide them with things. And I found that the bulk of the time, it wasn't anything they even needed to hear. It was just me trying to fill that my soul with the value I promised them. Where now I am having conversations, asking questions, helping them move in the direction that they want, not what I think they need. And it's very, very different. And so when you're able to deliver that type of value to the client, that information that they don't know they don't know, when you find out their direction and you build this, I call it in a relationship. And I know, I know Ron doesn't believe in building and in, in billing on a relationship. He's a hundred percent correct. I just think for my own self, I needed to get past the fact that, Hey, listen, you are, you're providing value and you're building a relationship with your clients because you've never really talked to them before like you are now. So the key is Joe from that, from that practice model, what you are providing them and being able to bill is more of like, okay, what is the value of an outsourced CFO? If I say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to help you with your books and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do FPNA and I'm going to budget and I'm going to forecast and we're going to workforce plan or do all these things. What value does that give them? And so I will say that for me, paring down the clients so that I cannot be average at what I'm doing. I can be great at what I'm good at. Yes. Great at what you're good at. I love the way you phrased that, right? Because it elevates it when you can focus it, when you can focus exactly. the energy of it on particular client uh, wealth generation. I want to come back to the 2,500, excuse me, the, the, the 250 clients. And what you're saying is absolutely true for a firm that is not a top 500 firm, exactly. but that's all relative, right? So so I want to make sure that everybody understands. Dawn's talking from within the context of a, uh, I'm going to call you a small firm, not because you're small, well, but by are. comparison to the top 500, sure. right? One, three employees. Right. right. So, okay. So, so small firm, right. Are I would say even up to, you know, 10 or 15 employees, right. But it's all relative to the size of the practice. Dawn's point is um, if you're a top, if you're one of the 400 to 500th largest firms and you have 2,500 CAS practices, you have you probably have uh, CAS clients, you probably have too many. So too many is relative. Yes. All right. So that's, but it's got to be proportionate to the size So the ultimate destination here that Dawn's talking about is have the right size clientele for you to package. I'm going to use some wording here to kind of summarize what you said. Tell me if I'm right to package what value you add into the context of a meaningful relationship. So you're not, yeah, you're not pricing the relationship. You're pricing to the value, but it's in the, it's in the context of a meaningful relationship. Yeah. And and what's interesting about the process and the process is a whole nother conversation because you've got to, you've got to shift your mind. You have to embrace the change and, and change is scary. People, and I understand that it's scary for me just as much as it is anybody else. But when you make that decision and you start to have the conversation of clients, 
this is how I'm changing my practice model. This isn't, and, and honestly, just to be totally transparent and, and upfront about it, for once, it's about me. When I say me, I mean my practice. It's finally about my practice. Usually it's client first, always client first. And so, and, and it's funny because when I talked on the main stage, I talked about control, taking control of your practice. This is exactly what I was talking about. Taking control of how you need to operate as a firm, not how your clients need you to operate because they don't know. So hmm. if we can change our mindset to take that control of your firm and put your firm first for once, like my staff, like I, I just watch them just working so hard on so many different things and imagining what they're going through. And it was like, okay, we had a, we had a team meeting, all three of us. And we said, okay, this is what I'm thinking, you guys. This is what I want to do. And the relief that came over them of you mean we're not going to have to work with all these people. And the first thing we did was we looked at the list and said, who do we like? Mm. And and I said, okay, everybody go through the list and cross out everybody that are we just, they're just, you know, there's just some people that can't you see don't, this. Yeah. You, it's not a good choice to work with them or have them in your life. I mean, personally and professionally. Right. And I think that's really important. I mean, I've been through clients who really treated us terribly and we have fired them because of how they treat us. And I don't care if you pay me $2 million, I don't right. have to be your punching bag. Exactly. So you, right. And so then what ends up happening at the end of the day is you start to become so selective on who you take on. People don't just call and like, I want you to do my taxes or they call and say, we want you to, to do our accounting. We interviewed a client on Wednesday. They're buying a campground. They're buying properties. They're doing all this stuff. And I, and, and they're existing clients. And I said, okay, well, look, I just need you to understand something. This is the only way we're going to work with you. And it's because this is how we have to operate in order for us to be successful for you. And, and I think that that's it. You can't feed the masses sometimes. You've got to, let's, let's just, sometimes it's time to pick and choose. So what I'm hearing is if I'm going to kind of unpack and summarize and tell me if I'm, if I'm echoing back correctly, what you're saying is you're talking about a firm first approach, but it's inseparable from a client first approach, right? Right client, right mm -hmm. services, right structure of the engagement, um, where you're driving outcomes for the client. So it's so a lot of people hear firm first and they're just thinking, well, that means, you know, make sure I pay my people well or make sure that, you know, I, I yes, fire clients that, you know, just that'd be the only decisions, fire clients that aggravate my, my people. Both those things are true, but they're formed out of a larger thing I'm hearing you say, which is we're taking charge of the client too. We're taking charge of the client relationship too. And by taking charge of that, we get to be firm first. Right. Exactly. It's client centric firm first, which sounds like an oxymoron. Sounds antithetical. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. And and what what I have found, this is the amazing part. If I was to tell my younger self, this is always I always like to say this, if I was to tell my younger self, I would have started with this process. I would have started this way. But we're feast or famine when we start in a lot of ways. We're either, you know, we've got to take everyone that comes in the door because we need to pay bills. And so that's what we think. And we and we take on work that we're not even good at. Like right. we're not even half good at, we're just, right. I'll figure it out. Oh, you want me to, you know, you want me to do your payroll? Like when I, even when I first started, I mean, I knew how to do payroll because I took it in college, but how do I do pay? Oh, okay. Well, well, I'll figure it out. And how many mistakes I made and 
had to fix things for free. How many people have done that? Everybody on this call, if you have never done work where you've messed it up and had to fix it for free, I'm very upset because everyone should go through it. It's, it's kind of part of the process, right? It's part of the story. But now when you realize the work that you're actually doing and you're doing it well and you're doing it on time and the deadlines start to fall away, our compliance driven firms are in trouble. Yes. Because if, and that's where if you can become a machine where you're, you're all on the same page, you're doing the good work, you're doing it on time, you're having those regular conversations, deadlines aren't, don't mean anything because the work's being done already. Yes. Deadlines are, are the concrete floor. You're way above that. And, and, and you're way more proactive of that because let's just face it, if you're waiting until 9.15 for the most extended return to understand where somebody's books were on 12.31 of the previous year, you're right. You got a much bigger problem than hitting that tax deadline. I mean, you don't even, that client doesn't even know where they stood financially until nine months after the fact in a periscope look. So I could not agree with you more. The relationship work because it's so proactive, it's so timely, um, solves way ahead of the the compliance piece. But I, I think, I think what we're talking about here, then what I'm hearing you say is you're, you, the, the, the secret, the secret is to become a wealth generating business. Not, Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and then what, how unpack that a little bit then. So if you're going to be, if you're going to be taking on fewer clients so that you can generate more wealth for the fewer clients, share in that wealth, of course. Right. Right. How do we, how do we do that as accountants? How are you doing that as an accountant? Yeah, so we, well, so the way we kind of approached it was I kind of looked at my team and I said, hey, you guys, well, how much money do you want to make? Like, mm. what is going to, what is going to give you some relief in your personal life because your finances are under control? How many people have ever done that? Like, just, and I'm like, just tell me how much. Right. And, and, and I mean, like I would, if I was, if I was her, or, you know, one of the girls on the staff said, I want to make six figures, man. Yep. And she said, I I feel really greedy saying that. And I said, I love that you feel greedy saying that. That's not, and as a matter of fact, it's not greedy. It's honest. It's being honest with me so that I can understand as the leader what you need. And so what we kind of did is we reversed engineered it. We backed into what we knew. Now that you want to make that, what do you have to do for your clients for me to be able to afford to give you that? Exactly. I love that because that's how you motivate salespeople. Absolutely. They'll get super creative about ways to increase value and sell against value if they're commissioned. Exactly. So the way we approached it, I said, okay, well, let's do the six figure salary. And then what we'll do, because we knew it was this, and it's still a process, Joe. It's just still a process. We're still in the process. I say that because as a matter of fact, a client that we, you know, a couple of clients that we offered the, the subscription pricing model to in January didn't want to do it. Now, you'd be surprised. You'd be so shocked at the number of times that Tracy has reached out to them for their S-Corp tax return. And now all of a sudden yesterday, oh, hi, Dawn. I just want to let you know my books will be ready next Tuesday for you to do the tax return. <laughs> and I mean, I that's not an ideal client. It's right? not. But, no. I, and of course, for me, I had to respond and I had to respond and say, you know, the deadline's next Friday, right? And she right. replied, yes, I do. 
That's it. Yes, I do. Yeah. She's given you three days, right? With yeah. no apologies, by the way. But it Not comes one. back to the, the the bigger thing that we just talked about is even if she had gotten that to you last week right, or a month ago or two months ago, she still doesn't run her business from the financials because she doesn't know where she stands till months after the fact. Um, and therefore, she's probably not a client that you start talking about financial analytics and financial coaching and and controllership services and cash flow projections that she's going to be in a position to receive it or care. Exactly. It's a perfect example of why we don't want to work with those people anymore. Correct. That's why, as we said in the beginning, why am I getting rid of clients? I'm getting rid of them for a couple different reasons. Number one, when you're under duress, meaning that kind of a deadline, this compliance deadline that, you know, it's it's like, all right, you got away with it on March 15th, but September 15th, you don't file, you're getting a huge penalty. Mm-hmm. And so that that mindset that some of these business owners have that they're not, they're actually, I don't even know if I can, I'm not calling, can't call them business owners. I don't know what I would call them, but you know, freelancers of some kind that are irresponsible. And it's really scary because some of these people are responsible for other human beings. They can't even keep right. their books up. How are they taking care of another human? But that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, they're just not steward their company as well as they should. Exactly. And there are really only two answers to that, right? Either they want to engage you because they want to change that or they're never going to change that. Yes. And, um, and, and that's what we have to determine in our ideal client profile. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we found, Joe, over the last, it's probably, I would say over the last two weeks or so, where we're finding those people that are, that they're, because what we've done is over the last month is we've been silent. We're, we haven't reached out to anyone over the entire summer. We're like, nope. You know what? We have reached out to you and reached out to you. We can see you're viewing things because our technology tells us if they're opening a proposal or if they're looking at an engagement letter, whatever they're doing, they, we know they're seeing it. But it's just not important enough to them. So if it's not important enough to them, why is it that important to me? And that's a lot of times because we're people pleasers. That that's we're in this industry. We want to please rescuers for rescuers. We are. And so at the end of the day, I decided to rescue my firm. And those that can't be rescued, I I can't let I can't put that on my shoulders anymore. After 24 years, I can't do it. So I'm thinking about those firms that are listening who are smaller firms, like you said, anywhere from zero to 15, you know, zero or one, 15 employees. But thinking about those who have only been in business for maybe five to 10 years or five to 15 years, you guys can save yourselves. Yes. And I would, you know, as the designated motivator, yeah. I want to tell people, you need to save yourself first. You're on a plane. And the things drop, the air things drop, and they always tell you in the beginning of your flight, put yours on, mask on first before you help your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And our mindset is, well, if my kid's sitting next to me, I'm going to make sure the kid's got the mask on before myself. Yes. But that's right. not being helped. That's not going to work that way. And it's the same thing with our firms. We have an opportunity here to make the most amazingly drastic change in the profession the, the saddest part of how this is going to go, because it's going to go this way, Correct. is either firms will die off because they can't handle it anymore, or and, and unfortunately, there will be clients left behind. And we used to say the firms will be left behind. I see the clients in this case being left behind because they're not going to understand it, and there aren't going to be enough of us left to be able to service them. And unless they make a mind shift, they will be left behind. 
Yes, there's a big there's a big corner turn coming. There's no doubt about that. And I think that a lot of that corner turn will be serviced by automation and artificial intelligence. But the scary thing is they're going to over rely on that. Yes. And it's not going to be accurate. It's not going to be complete. Blake Oliver and I just recorded a podcast episode. It's going to be published next week where we narrowed in on this problem, you know, or that automation and artificial intelligence are great if you know how to ask the right questions and understand the outputs. Well, they don't know either of those things. So we won't completely go down that path, but what? But I just want to say I agree with you. Um, and, I, and I think it's even scarier than they're left behind. They're going to think that they're not. It's even right. worse, right? The only thing worse than not making a data-driven decision is making a decision on bad data, all right? Because then you, you, you ignore your gut. Exactly. Um, and at least the business owner has their gut instinct, you know, to, to rely on. But what what we're talking about here is table is tabling or sidelining, recognizing, being self-aware about two different things that we put a word on one of them that you've talked about. I'm going to put a word on the second one is, is you've decided you're no, you're no longer going to be a rescuer. And rescuer is a broad reach approach. You can be a rescuer for hundreds of clients every single year, every single tax cycle, every single bookkeeping 1099 cycle. You can you can have the responsibility you've placed upon yourself, undeserved, of perpetually rescuing all these people. And it can also be about new clients that come into your world because you're rescuing them when their books aren't clean. Hey, my books aren't clean, but also I don't have any money. And all of a sudden, you know, we rescue them and so forth, take their problems, make them our problems. But when you do it in a very deep relationship, so here's the problem. You've talked about relationship intersecting value, which is powerful and positive, Mm -hmm. and it leads to a subscription uh, model and everybody's in wealth goes up together. But when relationship intersects rescue, you you get codependency. And in the vernacular, you know this, Dawn, I'm sure, but in the vernacular, codependency doesn't mean interdependent. Right. Codependency means I take another person's problem, I make it my problem, Mm. and I enable them to perpetuate in their problem. It's a term that's used when you have an alcoholic relative or other kind of addictive personality friend or relative, and, and and, and you've gone from rescue into a perpetual state of codependency upon their alcohol or codependency on their other forms of addiction. Now you're dependent as well with them. Right. And and you've let them pull your entire life down based off of that. Now, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I want you to understand what Dawn is saying here is she's just, she's turning, she's turned a corner. She's not a rescuer and she's not codependent anymore. And I'm going to say you need to go where Dawn is leading you to go on this podcast, because I know a lot of you listening that really resonated with you. You're a rescuer and you're codependent. Yes. Dawn, thoughts on that? Yeah, hundred percent. And and one of the other things that I with that being being the person who takes on that burden over time takes pieces of your soul with it. It that does. Just, it just does, and it's and it doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't. It, we're always going to care about even the, the that one person. Like the girl texted me or emailed me yesterday. I want to just throttle her in the throat, but it's like. I still care about her. I care about her right. business, but it doesn't mean that it has to affect mine. That is correct. And that's the difference. Yes. And so we, we've got to make that shift. And, and, a, and a lot of what we have done here, and, and as we're, again, through this process, 
is understand that those things that we aren't good at, we can rely on others. And that's not a codependency. That is, hey, you know what? That's a village. I know Shannon Thies is, that's a girl, if I have a payroll issue that I don't want to deal with, I'm calling Shannon. You know why? Correct. Because Shannon has portrayed herself as the best in payroll. It's, yes. And it's, it's a, and a real- Is that what cool doctors cool. do? That's exactly what doctors do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and attorneys, I mean, every, Eric Green's a tax attorney. He's not a family attorney. I can't have, yes. you know, I'm not going to have him do that. So I, I found this quick little story, this quick little thing that, you know, I know you and I had talked about this is shifting your mindset to not having to do all of the things. So if you're not good at a certain area, grab a buddy to fill in that gap. And in yes. my buddy, Steve, you know, and it's a longer story, but he says to me, I, I asked, we, we bought a boat together and, and I was like, why are you including me on this? Cause we bought it to resell it. Why are you, inclu- you don't need me for this. Like, he's like, because he says, listen, it's so much more fun when we all make money. And that's the same mental process I have brought into my practice to say, I'm not doing ERC credits. I am not doing R and D credits. Guess who's doing that for me? Try merit, Randy Crabtree. I'm going to rely on those people. And then if a client comes in and I'm like, you know what? We're not growing our tax firm. We're cutting it back. I'm going to call Nick Basha, who is growing his tax practice and give it to him. Or if it's a complicated tax strategy, I'm going to call Diana Crawford. I mean, reach out to the people who you know are the best. And your your network, Joe, that's exactly what your community is all about. And so if you're not an expert in an area, but you know that your client needs that type of service, it's okay to buddy up and work with somebody else to do the best work that they are really good at. Correct. And because it all comes back to the wealth generation, right? And wealth generation is a very specific nature, Um, though, interestingly enough, not micromanaged scope. So I want to bring it all back around to the subscription thing. Subscription is about generating a, a disproportionately higher amount of wealth within your portfolio. And in your case, and I think in a lot of cases, it means shrinking the size of the portfolio, even for larger firms, especially for small firms. But inside the subscription, I mean, we're not as worried about scope. Right. We are worried about nature, right? Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great example. So a great concept because here's the thing, um, and I have I have a great example. We have a client, and they're in they're in our pricing model. They're all in, and he called. He said, "Listen, I need some stuff for for a mortgage. We're buying our house, finally buying their first house." So it's like guy's super pumped, and he says, "Hey, listen, do you mind? I need if you can, can you put together these." three items that the bank's looking for. They're looking for those tax returns, copies of, of pay stubs, blah, blah, blah. You know what? No problem. I got you, Justin. No big deal. Now, did I put in my my list of services that I do for this guy? Did I put assistance with documents for mortgage? No. But for Justin, I'm taking care of something that he needed to have done that I'm so totally capable of doing for him as he's out building his business and growing, making hit, making, you know, enough money to buy a house finally. And right. so I don't, I'm not like, oh, okay, well, Justin, you know what? That's not in my list. So right. I'm going to have to charge you a thousand dollars to gather all that stuff for you. We don't have that conversation anymore. And, and it's, and again, but then there's a, uh, we'll also let's separate it in one more thing. Uh, as far as that goes, the scope creep. So I have a, a, a client who went through a Department of Labor audit. 
and I mean Department of Labor audit, it was ugly, nasty, not good. That is not part of what we're trying to do to build your wealth and grow your business. We have a- It's, a out, it's out of nature. It's out of nature. It's, this right. is abnormal. It's a different kind of terminology. It is yes. out of scope because it's out of nature. Yes. Yes. And that's where it, those become so crystal clear. Yes. They're like, wait a minute. I am not doing the normal things. Again, like you said, out of nature. No, wait. This wasn't discussed. And it's and it's typically something pretty big. If Which makes it a lot easier it, than to refer. Oh, so much easier. I'm not saying you can't take it and bill separately for the out of nature engagement. But when it's out of nature, your first instinct is let's find them somebody who's a specialist in payroll taxes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and you know, and, and again, also just for people to keep in context on ERC credits. Correct. So people are getting these ERC credits. That's great. Happy for them. But the lovely IRS which we can't even, I won't go too crazy on it because I don't want to you know, have someone at my door, but they're making us go back and amend tax returns for the year in which the credit was, re- what it was received for. I'm right. like, wait a minute, hold the phone. And my tax partner and I get on the phone usually once or, once or twice every month to complain about this because we're like, their cash basis, when they got the refund, when they got the credit, put it on this year's return, report the income, pay the tax on it. Like just why are they yes. making us do that? That is out of nature. It's out right. of nature because it's not natural. It was it was something that was totally morphed late in the game. So they, we charge for that. We're charging to do those amendments. Absolutely, you should. You know, or find an ERC company that specializes in it or whatever and is not predatory, right? Exactly. So many of those are predatory warning to listeners, especially well, if they want to advance you the money, you know, run away. But the but the the but there are good ones out there, and right. my 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 point is in all of that, um, you know, nature is easily managed rather than scope. And you know what, people, the client respects it more because it because they never really engaged us to do that nature of services. But it feels like we're nickeling and diming them if we're like, well, you opened up a new checking account, so if I look at my pricing matrix sheet. You're allowed three checking accounts. You opened up a fourth one. Therefore, I have to charge you another hundred bucks a month. That feels really bad. And yeah. it's not a good way to manage a practice. And, but, but key to this, though, is what I would assume is my assumption, Dawn, because the listeners might be going, but how on earth do you stay profitable? My assumption is your profit margins on these on that port, on this portfolio are so high as compared to compliance work that you have the buffer to do stuff stuff that's unexpected. And can you talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah, the margins, and and again, we, we, we reverse engineered into our, into our pricing by figuring out what the company would need. And the way we, the way we looked at that was, okay, we're decreasing the amount of clients. We're, we're really technically doing most of that work anyway. We're looking at what we historically were paid and trying to, to, transform that conversation with the client to say, hey, these are the things we're going to do because we've defined that for the most part. Again, there's some one-offs that we just we just do the work. Um, but what ends up happening is you have more time. Your margins are higher. You're making more money, by the way. And what happens is outside of those exclusive contracts that we have with those 16 clients, 16 clients Mm. that run the practice. 
when there's work that's done outside of that, let's say tax resolution or something that's a one, a one-off project, maybe that is a hundred percent margin. Yeah. Because you're using burdened resources to get it done. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So if somebody does come up with something like you talked about earlier, the guy buying the house that's within nature, but was unexpected, you've got so much extra cushion and operating capital. And the last thing I'll say, because we can't completely unpack subscription pricing, everybody here needs to read Time's Up by Paul Dunn and Ron Baker. Ron Baker breaks the entire subscription economics model out in his segment and second half of that book. But but what I will say is he measures, and this will liberate a lot of people, subscription metrics are measured at the portfolio level, not at the producer level and not at the client level. Now, there are some management considerations you have to make there. But what you're measuring to success failure is the profit margin on the portfolio. And every client that does have this unexpected but within nature request, there's going to be somebody else that has less than expected capacity drain for things that are within nature. In other words, for client A, I might be able to drive a million dollars worth of increased wealth with half of my anticipated capacity that I expected to allocate to that. Somebody else took 125%. I'm still coming out okay if I measure by the portfolio. And if I make sure the emphasis is, did I make the client the money I was hoping to make them? Yeah, and that's exactly it. And, And at the end of the day, Joe making the shift and it'll it'll be a year October 1st when we took we started that first pricing client I recall I will never forget that conversation that first conversation and that's the key get yourself put yourself out there a little bit grab one to three clients that are friendlies that are people that you know you can help that you could do more for that you need to understand their business better and go to them and say, listen, I'm changing my model. This is what I want to do. I want to be able to service you in a better way that we're communicating, that I'm helping you build your business in the way you want to build it. And once you have those three conversations, it's so easy after that. And, and because people mostly are concerned and people always ask me the question, what did you do with the existing clients? New clients are easy because they don't know any better. Well, in your case, you just fired a bunch of them. You just get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, responsibly, responsibly, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but yeah. So you 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 call the client base, at, and then other people may be thinking, but wait a minute, I don't have wealth generating skill sets. And so I've got good news for you there. A lot of you listening already know this, but uh, Woodard has a school of financial coaching and a school of controllership, and and we will teach you how to do cash flow projections. We'll teach you how to how to manage accounts receivable to to mitigate bad debt expense. Um, We will teach you how to interpret financial information and we will teach you how to coach your clients and even structure a coaching relationship with your clients. So there are resources out there where you can go develop these skills. You're not on your own. And I would recommend that you ride the rails of our program in order to do that. But but I want you to begin with the end of mind too. Don't just join the program if you're not going to do what Dawn did. Right. Right. I mean, why even learn how to be a doctor if you're not going to open a medical practice? Right. So so if you're going to open a coaching practice, if you're going to be a wealth generator, right, while still staying in the same realm of financial work, then then there are pathways uh, for you to get there. So so, Dawn, I applaud you for what you're doing. What you're doing is brave. What you're doing is bold. And what you're doing is the future. And what I really love about what you're doing, especially having just gone from hot mic with Blake on this uh, earlier this morning on artificial intelligence, 
it's much less disruptable. I don't yes. think the bots are going to take these 16 clients of yours. Not worried at all. Not worried. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and really at the end of the day, I, this, is, this is a test for you if you're listening. When you get to your office or if you're if you have it on your phone, if you have QBO on your phone or zero or whatever it may be, and you look at your balance sheet on an accrual basis, what does that accounts receivable number look like? Because mine is zero. Thank you. And if you find yourself have spending time and you're not investing, you're spending time sending invoices and you're spending And loaning time. money to companies without interest. Yeah. Which is what AR is. That's what you're doing. You are loaning people money that you don't have. Yep. And so if that's you and you are right now, probably you're driving, possibly, who knows, pull over because <laughs> this is big time. You have to make the decision. That's all you have to do. Everything runs between your ears. Yes. It's, it's nothing more than what your brain is telling you. And most of the time it's telling you something false. Correct. And so stop, drop and roll, like get yourself out of the fire and start to run your practice the way you deserve to be running it. And I will tell you, Joe, and I know that we talked about this before. I was running to pay payroll. I was stressed out every single week for 23 years, Joe, 23 years of my life that I spent every, and I mean, every week, I'm not even saying once in a while, every week, projecting to Friday, what do I have to collect for invoices? How many hours did we work last week to be able to bill as a robot? And that was my mentality. What a failure. And it's mm. okay to admit that. The biggest thing that the problem that you will have is if you admit the failure and you don't do anything about it, that's the problem. And the pathway, folks, if a lot of you are going, hey, I see it, Dawn, but I don't know how to get there. Remember, Dawn started with a client assessment. Right. And then she started by asking the people in her practice. And if you're a sole practitioner, ask yourself, what what do I want to build here for my for myself and work backwards? Because you won't get there without generating the client wealth. Client wealth will come as a result of that. Right. So Dawn, thank you. Words of wisdom and words of caution. Like like you, I wish I had a time machine. I could go back and listen to this podcast episode 20 years ago, but it's never too late to change change the game. And you changed the game. That's right. uh, and a lot of folks listening in are about the same place in their business cycle as you are. So do what Dawn did and start with that client assessment and then change the nature of your practice to where it's it's wealth generating within the context of powerful relationships. Final word, Dawn. I want to hear from people. I want you to tell me that you made your mind shift. That That is my biggest ask is to, it doesn't have to be a big giant jump either. I would love to hear, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, whatever, whatever works for you, my website, dawnbrolin.com, whatever. I just want people to have the same life that I've finally created for myself, my firm and my clients over the last year. And please let Joe know, let me know, let Ron know, let us know that you're making a change, even how small it may be with, and definitely for sure celebrate the little things, celebrate the little wins in your journey as you work through this. The big, the big success will come and it will happen, but sell, still celebrate the little stuff. And I love that idea of reaching out to you, reaching out to me, reaching out to Ron, because we do care and we will often reply 
to each one of these posts, whether they're a direct message or something in public. So find us on LinkedIn. Make sure that you tell us your story. I appreciate you being here, Dawn. It's always fun. Joe, I love you, man. If I would love a full frontal hug, people know you don't like that, but I make you do it anyway. And uh, I just appreciate you and, and all you're doing for the community. And we're, that's what we're all here to do. And I hope well, hope everybody has some some amazing wins before the next year. I'm, I'm sure they will if they'll listen to what happened to this podcast. Thanks, Dawn. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.